Hi guys, welcome to another episode of What the Tech Am I Doing? Today we have Tim Patz. He is going to take us a little through career and how to, what he's done. I think one thing that he, people look at in the company is he's grown a lot in the years that he's started as an engineer and made his way up to a VP. And one of the great things about mentorship is being able to look at someone and say, how did they do it? And that's exactly what we're going to do today. Get some really good advice uh, from Tim Pats and get started. So thanks for joining us, Tim. Thanks for having me, Dolly. It's great to, great to be on, on your podcast. <laughs> I'm excited. So I'm going to jump right into it, into what you did. I saw that you did your undergraduate and like 2003 masters right after that and then MBA a couple years after that as well so three degrees relatively short amount of time do you recommend do you like the path you took in terms of that or looking back do you wish you did a different way great question you know I so I was um originally from Chicago so both parents are teachers. So it was it was destined that I was going to go to a state school. Now it happened to be that you know Illinois is a good engineering school. So getting into Illinois was I think a big deal for me. So when you go to a big um, engineering school and uh, you know it's apropos to a lot of folks who listen to your podcast probably, you know the the recruiters actually love to come to these top top schools, right? So so I got a chance to go talk to Baxter and Abbott and you know, McKinsey's there, the CIA is interviewing. And, and to be honest, like the attractive route for me, to be, to be totally frank, was just, do I need to go into this academia route? The professorships in engineering are interesting because, you know, you're paid as a student to go to school. So, and you, there is a chance for you to become a pretty, you know, pretty well-to-do professor at a major institution. So my, my vision for myself was to get a PhD. So I actually left Illinois um, with the intent of, getting a PhD at Georgia Tech. So went to Georgia Tech, got a PhD program, found an advisor who was really aggressive. Uh, he was a 26-year-old MD, PhD, um, comes from a long line of academia. So I'm like, oh, this is the guy. So this is the mm-hmm. someone who's going to push me to publish and be aggressive. And, and so going from engineering then to academia, I wanted to t- get a shot at becoming that professor, right? What I thought a professor was, and you know, looking at my parents and what they did, they were both learning disabled behavior disorder teachers. They gave back to society in a big way. So I wanted to follow them and really follow that, that path. Um, what I found out academia really is, is a lot of um, grant writing, a lot of um, getting publications out to get your own social status up within the university, which to be honest, is it's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a different job than what I thought it was going to be. So lo and behold, um, Edwards Life Sciences came knocking at Georgia Tech in 2004, you know, mm-hmm. 2005. And actually, you know, it's, and then I decided to make the leap. And, and it's, um, it's tough, you know, if your advisor, to tell your advisor I'm leaving. And to be honest, I still wrote a 120-page thesis as, as a master's <laughs> student. You know, so it was intense. It was, you know, they were definitely vested in me. And so um, I feel like I gave him a good thesis. I gave him a couple good years. I wrote 10 plus papers and it spanned 12 months. And that was pretty much what I expected because this, again, being a young professor, this gentleman, he had to really make his name. And that was part of, mm-hmm. part of making your name is finding these really, you know, high energy students to go do that. 
So would I do it again? You know, I probably would skip the Masters and really just think, you know, take a take a really hard look at really what um, the end end job was. But to be honest, like everyone makes mistakes, so it's not. I don't feel like it's a big burden in my you know trajectory. And I think uh, Georgia Tech is is a great school too. So it's great to also have a good a good balance of like what you know good could look like. And what's interesting about Georgia Tech is I've gone there a couple of times since I've left, uh, and they are really a uh, you know, done well with startups, incubators. A lot of companies have come from there, even in the med tech space, which is pretty cool. So I think, um, again, you know, it's Illinois has got all the top professors where Georgia Tech is much more, I'd say, on the industry, you know, pro industry side. Um, to answer your question about MBA, MBA was interesting because so when I came into out of uh, Georgia Tech, I went into Edwards. I was placed in this program called the technical development program. You do rotations uh, as an engineer. My rotations were R&D, supply chain, marketing. I loved marketing. And so I loved to mm -hmm. talk to people, talk to customers. I interacted with clinicians a lot. So it was, it was really a fun job. What you quickly learn in marketing, though, is like you could apply your engineering principles, your, your problem solving. You could do really well in marketing for a short period of time. But quickly, you, you move up. And then you're in meetings with finance folks and, and business leaders, and they're, they're over your head. So I was at meetings <laughs> with specifically, I remember, I remember this one time I was with, it was a product manager. She came from like MIT Sloan Business School, really good school. Um, and she was talking about just simple things like, you know, financial terms, like net present value, et cetera. And I, I just said to myself, I'm like, I really need to get, you know, I need to get an MBA. <laughs> so that was, that was the reason for the MBA was, you know, listen, can I, can I go get this uh, degree now? Thankfully too, um, if you're doing well enough, I think in your, in your, in your work life, um, you can actually ask for a little bit of help on the MBA, you know, cost. And mm -hmm. so that's what I did. I, I think my boss at the time was generous enough to give me a little bit of help. Um, going to school. I went to school locally at University of California, Irvine, UCI, um, Zot Zot, for those of you listening out there. But <laughs> it's a great school. And actually, it's it's not a top 10 school. It's a, it's probably in the top 30. But to be honest, I think if you if you want to become a community leader or involved in your community, there's no better way to like than go to a, a, a university and go to a business school that actually is in that community itself. So that was my strategy is, listen, I'm going to I'm going to work full time. I'm going to get my MBA at night, night and weekends. I'm going to, you know, push it, push the boundaries that way. And then my hope was I can leave and, um, and actually stay friends with a lot of folks in that, in that, from the campus. Right. And funny enough, I actually interviewed nine people from my, uh, from my class. So I work, we work at a company <laughs> Dolly that is very hot, right? Like Edwards is the biggest, yeah. one of the, you know, um, biggest financial, you know, economic firms in the in the region so certainly a lot of attention for our company and so i got to you know get a couple folks a job which i think has been a great ride because even my class president i got a job for worked at edwards for a number of years went on to do great things and so you know pretty proud of just at least the connections that we had at mba um so to be honest i wouldn't change a thing um in hindsight maybe the master's phd i would have rethought but hey you know life life short so I'm not gonna regret too much <laughs> Agreed. I mean, you're right. You get something from each experience. Did you need it? Maybe no, but it it got you to what you're doing now. So it it all works out. Hundred percent. So that's interesting because I'm 
starting to look towards MBA and different things. And we've had a short discussion before, but it's, I've, so many people have different opinions. And so you really have to figure out what works for you. But when it comes to in-person versus partial, full-time, I think everyone I've talked to has said something different. So it's interesting to see what's worked for certain people <laughs> and, you know, what, how things have changed. Yeah. You know, I'll, so here's my take. And even I'll tell you just the, um, even I'm on a, I'm on the board now of UCI alumni. So I've, I've, <laughs> you know, I think you're always biased to whatever path you took. Right. So I, I was, like I said, I was a FEMBA, they call it fully employed MBA. Oh yeah. Um, so my default answer would be full time. And I'll tell you why. However, I think, I don't think there's a wrong answer here. Um, I've, we have someone even in our strategy group um, is going to Northwestern in, in about two months to go do an MBA. And I know Northwestern is a different um, school that you get different companies that will come up, recruit you. I think it's just a question of what, what do you want to do? Number one is if you want to go to investment banking, you know, you're going to, you want to, you want to go to Harvard, you want to go to Wharton, et cetera. If you want to be an entrepreneur in the tech space, med tech space, you know, Stanford, you know, that kind of route on the California coast, you know, if, you know, apply for the big schools, go for that. It's great. I think um, my simple advice is just look at how much financial risk you want to take on. Right. Because I think you're, when you go into an MBA class, um, you know, you're competing with really good people, right? So if you're confident in your own ability to go compete and, and you want to do full time, go, go, you dive head first. That is a, um, to be honest, maybe I'm, I'm too chicken. Right. So my take was making pretty good money as a as a marketer. Um, if I stop now and I come back out, what's the best, highest job I can get coming out of the MBA? And it was, you know, in my mind, it was equivalent at the time. And so I said, listen, I'll just do the, the full time MBA. And I think you also have to think about where you are in life. You know, if you if you starting a family and trying to do a fully employed, go to go to work, go to school it's a tough life. I know folks who actually started started their families, had a bunch of small kids running around in class. They look so tired, Dolly. It was like, you know. So I think the key thing for me is just really lay out, do you want to be, um, what kind of field do you want to be in? That will dictate your school, number one. Number two is full-time versus fully employed is what level are you looking for? And is it a different type of company you want to go for? That will make the decisions pretty easy. And I think if you, you know, at the end of the day, if you like your company, which I do, and we'll talk about Edwards, you know, a little bit later, I'm sure. But I liked Edwards. I, I felt like it was a really, especially around that time, we had just launched launching Tever in the, in the European market. Clearly, the company was going to be doing well. We were expanding our teams. Everything was pointing to staying at this company, and I think it's been the right choice. So Nice. Glad to hear it. I do really like it. Yeah. Um, another thing that I think you mentioned that – you went and did as partner with your company when you were doing the MBA. And that's something, and I've talked to RHR and I feel like when people are looking towards MBAs, they were saying one of the biggest mistakes or suggestions they would have is actually talk to your management, talk to your HR and figure out like what, if you say you, and this is more specifically if you want to come back to the company or you're doing a partial is, what is going to come out of it because a lot of people and this comes with the masters as well i've seen it people my age getting masters is they'll i want i'm going to go get my masters or mba to get said promotion this increase and then they come back and they're like 
you know, the manager's like, we, we never said that, that would happen. Or, <laughs> you know, we didn't say that you were just yeah. going to automatically give you this job because you have this degree now. And, and some will. Some, it's like you needed to get that knowledge to get to the next level or you needed to do this. But definitely the importance of talking to whoever, you know, if you're planning on staying in that same company or talking to people if you're looking to do something else. So I like how you went about it. What what will I what will it look like when I'm done with this program and being honest with yourself about that? Yeah. And I'll I'll just give you some advice too and just you know for the for your audience. You know, so I think every corporation or most big corporations give you some money towards your master's. Edwards is one of those companies, right? So I think it's a, they give you a pretty generous amount of money to say, you know, this goes through annually. Um, what I did is I sat down with my vice president. I said, listen, I said, I want to be here for the long haul. I've done well in a couple of years. Um, and if you, if you educate me and help me get this MBA, you know, I'm happy to stay on X amount of years. And lo and behold, you know, I talked to HR and they have a, a, a piece of paper waiting for me. And so the deal is, and this mm -hmm. may change, right? But I had to sign something that says, you know, if I left two years after, I'd have to actually pay back the, the amount that I was given above and beyond the corporate amount. Because I think what I, what, I would, what I also did is I laid out, I said, listen, an MBA is 27 months, at least the fully employed one was. 27 months yeah. spans over over two three fiscal years. So, and most companies do budgets on, the, on a fiscal year, as, as we know, right? So, I, I, I laid out the amount per year, and really, there's one year that's the highest, and there's two years that are you know a little bit less than than a full year, right? So, so I said, listen, for this low cost, you know, and you kind of got to have a sell job here, is, you know, for this low cost, you're pretty much locking in an employee almost for five years. So, Dolly, mm -hmm. if you're like a top employee, which I know you are, are very well loved at Edwards. I'd say, listen, let's let's really think about. Okay, are you going to be here for the long term? If you invest, I will invest in you if you want to. You want to stick around. I think the job coming out to your point. I think you picked it up. I think you almost have to be. You have to walk through that yourself. I've seen, you know, um, I, I'd say people who are new in management make commitments they can't they can't um, return. Right. It's very it's very difficult to, to guarantee someone a job or a level. I think, I think, you know, every time, even today, I'll just, my, in 40 minutes, I'm going to go be meeting with my general manager on a talent development review, which is when we discuss promotions and all that stuff. But a lot of times, you know, the higher you get up in the, in the organization, the titles are actually dictated by, by a group sometimes, right? So at, at Edwards and our group, actually, if we, when you go to director level, you actually, there's a committee that actually has to look at it from a cross-functional perspective. I think up to director, it's the flexibility of the supervisor, but you know, there's always that, that risk. And so managers, you know, have to be careful not to commit certainly to, to, to jobs or levels, but to your point, I think relatively you can understand where MBA students are coming out, what salaries, what levels, and then make an argument, you know, a pretty good one, obviously, you know, to say like the education plus loyalty plus my performance should yield me, you know, to look at you at a promotion for this level. So that's my advice. Yep. That's really good. That's really helpful for people because I've, I've had a lot of people recently asking about that now that we're, we've been partnering with new hires and getting them in and getting the advice they need. So a lot of people are starting to look towards that route. I think it's becoming more common. So good advice for them to consider. Another thing that I'm seeing that's more common now is engineers turning towards marketing or um, 
less technical positions and getting that marketing or sales experience. And so I wanted to get your opinion there as well and how you did that transition. I know the rotation program allowed you to be a little more selective in how you rolled out and what you did with that. But you did start off your career as an engineer and now um, not too much later, and we'll talk about that in a bit, you are now working as a VP in sales and you were doing marketing. So what is that what did that look like and how do you recommend someone else who's starting as an engineer and looking to take that path? It's a great question, you know, and, and the most common question I actually get is, is you know, as, you, as a lot of your audience knows is the engineering degrees are really difficult. You know, it's not a degree that you <laughs> take lightly. It's a, it's heavy labs, difficult programs. So the most common question I do receive is like, Tim, I'm, I, I have an engineering degree, but I go into marketing. It's like a step down. Right. And I'm like, I was like, maybe <laughs> depends how you look at it. Right. So the, here's the way I looked at it. So when I looked at um, who was getting some of the, the best time with leadership, who was able to connect with our top clinicians or top customers, these thought leaders in the world, it was marketing, right? They were literally at the table with all these, in my mind, important people. And so, and I also looked at another thing I said, okay, in a lot of companies and tech companies or med tech, engineering is like, is like a tough ladder, right? You know, engineering one, engineering two, you know, then you go to senior, then you go to staff, then you go to like senior manager. And it is like, to me, it's like, wow, it's like alphabet soup of like levels to get to a director. <laughs> so that's, that was like unattractive for me. What's interesting in marketing is like you're a product manager, you're senior product manager, you're a marketing manager, then you're director. So it's like simpler. It's like, so maybe I'm just, a, I, you know, it's not a shortcut because I don't think these jobs are, are, are lighter, I think, but I certainly, I saw a faster path in my mind in marketing. What I meant by that is, okay, if I can figure out how to become impactful in this space, I probably don't have to go through seven or eight levels to become, you know, a more senior person in the organization. And so that was my strategy. And I actually, it, it did work out. Now to your, to your, to point of your question earlier about MBA, I felt like at some point your engineering degree, you know, kind of times out meaning like, okay, my engineering degree will get me so far in marketing and I can probably make up, you know, you know, half of it with my wits. And then you kind of go, <laughs> but I have to probably get some level of education deeper. And, and to be honest, it's a, it's probably a track. If you're going to go into marketing, you, you should probably think about, you know, do I get an MBA at some point? I think it, they kind of go hand in hand. I think, an MBA not only teaches you the financial side of things and the business side of things, it also gets you ready for just managerial, you know, the course of, of being a, a bigger manager, right? I think my favorite course in MBA was actually organizational behavior, just a study of people, right? How do you look at a team differently and, you know, that side. So I think to your point, going back to your original question is, I do see that trend too, Dolly. I think I think it's a viable path. I think get get around the fact that this is not, a you know, it's a, not a step down, if you really don't like marketing, you can go back. I've actually put people back in, into, into engineering. Um, one of my best, uh, closest allies over here, his name's, uh, he's an he used to be an engineer, systems engineer for like seven years. His name's Gene. I put him in a marketing role within three years. I promoted him to a director in marketing. So again, you can have both too. And I think someone like this, this Gene who has seven years of systems engineering experience, now he's got about you know eight years of marketing experience. That's, that is a GM resume, right? So that's the other way I think about it is, is if you want to start in engineering, see what it's like, you know, feel it out. Um, the way you cross over and even, um, you know, Dolly, you and I have had conversation on this front is the way you cross over is always the same. 
and it's not it's not unique to marketing. It's not unique to any function. If you want to go into any function, you've got to find mentors. You got to find a mentor who's willing to say, "Listen, you're you know, I, I like what I see. I'm, I'm happy to help you in your journey." And and you want to find a mentor who's high enough who actually has a team that one. If an opening comes up, you know, you'll get a chance to interview for the team or at least you know um, be considered. I think that's the way the world works in general. That that applies to quality. If you want to go into manufacturing, ops, everything in my mind. So. I think the, the key of, of a, a company culture is, is just keeping that networking portion alive so you know that you could grow within that company. And I think um, luckily for me, you know, we'll get to my career in a second, but like I, I have a pretty boring career. I'll just say that. Like what I mean by that is I literally started at Edwards. I started in this business unit called Critical Care. And, uh, and the reason I actually started this, in this organization was it was in my mind a way to move quickly because all the really, you know, high flying folks in my mind were going to like these, this Tavra group, you know, like, wow, this Tavra thing's taken off. They were in the heart valve space, which Edwards is really known for. Critical care was like an area that I thought, wow, like if you can become an expert in this space, you could, could compete with the, the, the people and actually move up. And I hate to say this, it's like a, maybe it's a selfish way to think, but I always ask, tell people, set yourself up for success. In my mind, you're always buying low. In my mind, when I started Critical Care, and now it's changed dramatically since I've been here, um, but it's, uh, it was a buy low opportunity, meaning like it was a two to 3% growth area. We're now a, we're now a division that grows, you know, mid single digits, uh, you know, we're growing obviously double digits this year, but you know, it's planned that over the next couple of years, we're in that high single digit digits. And I think that's a really attractive med tech kind of group to be a part of. Because if you grow at that level, you're constantly adding, you're constantly adding to your team, you're adding products to the pipeline, et cetera. So you pick the, the division, you also pick the, the job. And I think the combination of those two things, joining a team that needs help is not necessarily a bad strategy. I think when you join a, a team that needs help and you can become the star in that team, I think um, you naturally just shine brighter. So. Yes, I agree. I know people, and I've had conversations where you go, I've gone back and forth with uh, individuals where, you know, do you join a high performing team and learn from them? Or do you join a team and help the team and help them grow? And I think both have advantages. I'm definitely more on the side with you. I, I like to learn from doing it and figuring it out. And then I, you, you do learn from the mistakes along the way and then it's it's cool to be able to create that culture through your actual uh career development in that sense as well i so, i think yeah i think it's it's yeah. a great point dolly i think i think it also is to your to your point i think you you have to know yourself i think that's kind of yeah. what you're alluding to is so you know when i i had i had ambitions i'll say that um <laughs> what i would I say that I set a goal for myself? Probably. My goal, to be honest, I'll be very transparent, was simply to become a director. I never thought, you know, I never really even had an ambition to become a vice president. I'm like, that is a, that's a job for a much senior level person. Let's just get to the director level. And like I, like I said, I think to your, you pointed out is I, I you know, you, if you can do it yourself and actually and simultaneously be a good team member and kind of, kind of straddle that line, I think it's a great way to learn. You're, you're basically teaching yourself. And when I joined an organization that needed help and as a marketer, 
you actually, what's funny is on day one, they give you like a $50 million business to manage. And you're like, wow, okay, this is pretty cool. <laughs> so you're like, so, and so my first business that I managed is actually the Swan Gans business, which is actually a legacy business. You know, it's, it's a, um, it's, it was worth at the time about $50 million in the U.S. And I mean, managing that and learning from my mistakes, talking to customers, you learn a ton, right? And, they, and you have a lot of autonomy in marketing. So you're able to change pricing. You're able to, you know, connect with the reps, talk to customers, fly out and visit folks. Um, but in general, these kind of legacy businesses kind of run themselves. So you're not, there's not a lot of risk. And so that generally speaking, they, they give you um, a newer person in marketing, you know, kind of a legacy business. I think if you're more experienced, actually, they give you a smaller business that's probably high growing. And they want you to grow up to a big place. So you really just, part of it is knowing yourself to your point. So I think the advantage for me also to that question is, you know, if you, if you want to go quickly, I think you, you want to become the star and become that turnaround champion. Even we have a very famous leader at Edwards, his name is Larry Wood, and he does lead our tavern business. And I've you know, known Larry for a long time, and he spoke to our group uh, two days ago. And he, he said it. I mean, he's the king of it. He took over um, complaints teams and that were doing really poorly. He took over regulatory teams that were underperforming. He did well with that. He joined a marketing team um, that was newly created in this space for Taver, and eventually he became the general manager. And he said along the way, along the journey, it's about he, every step he took, it was about getting, taking the worst team and turning it into something great. Mm -hmm. And he became known as a turnaround agent. And I'll tell you, even in my career, so I, I mentioned you have a pretty boring resume. It, it's been in the same organization for 16 years, which I'm really proud of. I love, I love Edwards, love Critical Care the most i think it's an underdog organization i think we are gritty i think people here have resilience because as other organizations and edwards have really taken off i think we've stayed the course and, and then now we're a darling of a lot of um wall street analysts right they're saying you know wow mm -hmm. look at critical care and their, their advancements in ai and and connectivity and the future is bright for this organization but it took us from a place of like two percent growth to like really an innovative atmosphere to, to get there. It's been a long journey. And I think now, um, you know, to your point, I think we're seen as a, more of a sexy organization. Um, <laughs> so the, the track um, for me also was um, in marketing, you have to take a couple, you know, guesses too, right? So I was um, in the US marketing team. So it's called downstream marketing, was in that group for about six to seven years. You get to learn the customers, the sales reps in depth. You had to get out at some point. I took a job in upstream marketing, which is, you know, maybe global marketing at some, some companies on this folks listening to this podcast, you know, and that job is much more tied to R and D. So that, that is like creating new products, you know, designing with side by side with R and D, um, figuring out the overall strategy and making sure that your product gets prioritized within the, within the R and D, you know, greater framework. So you got to learn both sides. You always got to learn downstream, got to learn upstream. The job, I think, when I when I took um, Larry's advice and took the took the really you know the job that nobody wanted was we were um, we were growing in China um, and we had distributors in China that you know weren't I'll, I'll be honest they they weren't the best partners and didn't really match with our culture so basically we found out that you know the Chinese distributors were not doing things that you know in our world are are um, acceptable. And we fired a whole group of distributors. And basically, we went from, I want to say, $30, $40 million in sales. We made a tough choice, but which is the right ethical choice. We fired our distributors. We went down in sales to like $15 million. So it took a you know, haircut 
And I said, listen, I'll, I'm happy to go, you know, lead this Asia Pacific division where we can get in and really hire the right people in China, get it to go. And this is like 2013, 2014, just to, you know, for, for the audience. Mm -hmm. So I think that was the first time that I took a personal leap to say, I'm going to get a little bit out of my comfort zone. I don't know the language. I don't know the cultures in Asia, but I know that they need help. And I know that based on being in marketing at that point, about eight years, I've got the understanding. I've got the MBA. I've got at least enough leadership courage to take it, take it that job. Now, I was only in that role for two years, but imagine, you know, if your if your job is hire people, get them to a right cultural place, hire the right um, group that's going to take China to the next level. That was my job, so I wanted to get in as quickly as possible, make changes, get out, and so that was my first director job too. So, you know, they they say the big move is the director, and and that was it. So that was my that was my role. I did well in that job. I learned a ton. And I think the biggest lessons for me in that role was just the diversity of the cultural thought going from Korea to China to Japan, kind of Australia. It's a very diverse group of countries in that region. Um, and getting China to a place was really important. I think at that time, you know, you had Omar Ishraq from Medtronic talking about really bold things in, in China and India. And so it was a very hot space to be in. And I think having worked in China for a lot of years actually serves you well because even recruiters call me now, they ask me about Asia Pacific experience because they generally want to see, um, you know, overseas experience of some sort to, you know, to have these bigger jobs. So anyways, that was my first real, you know, leap of faith, if you will. And I think mm -hmm. I took that leap of faith and I came back to marketing and I actually took a role in us eventually became the vice president of global marketing within critical care and now I'm in sales and I can tell you kind of that, that short journey, but um, it all it was all set up because you take that leap of faith. So I think that was the other lesson is at some point you, you go, I have enough skills. I believe in myself. I have enough expertise. I'm going to take that leap. And I think that was Larry's experience. I think it's, it's totally, totally true. It, I'm answering a long winded um, answer to a short question, which is really, <laughs> do I join a team that's high flying or do I go on my own? It's the path you take, you know? And so that path that I took was, go on my own, take the job that nobody wants. I love that. I love long-winded answers. <laughs> I feel like you learn, you learn so much more than if you were to just give that short answer. So mm -hmm. we we like that. But I want to kind of go more into that. So you, you know, we're saying there's certain things you need, you should do or recommend um, looking for that challenge. And I think putting yourself in, situations of challenge to grow yourself is how you know you're getting to these places but from a career and networking point of view um just to give people a little background in my expertise in linkedin stalking you started as a tdp um so that rotation program as an engineer at edwards in 2005 seven years later you're director four and a half years later you're a vp that growth in a short period of time although doing what you're doing and talking about all these skills I think what and especially in the new generations people are very loyal and so they don't make these moves as often because I think maybe they're loyal to the position or you know you're sitting there with your head down you're doing your work and you're expecting to be noticed how do you go about those the conversations outside of the work you're doing to get yourself to an open position, to open yourself up to more 
possibility and do those um, strategic moves along your career um, without getting stagnant for too long? It's a great so question. A great example. Of yeah. And, and, you know, um, Dahlia even goes back to the original advice that I gave you guys is, is that, um, you know, when I, the reason I chose marketing is marketing has a lot more visibility. So I, I really, I think it comes down to visibility. Visibility is a two edge, double edged sword, right? Visibility is great when you're, you're in a project that's going well, you get a lot of kudos, you may get a promotion, they may give you a raise, all that stuff. Visibility is tough when you're in a project that is, um, you know, that's struggling and there's maybe a uh, kill a product or stop a project. Um, and I think, um, you know, so visibility for me was if I fixed China, I was, I knew I was going to get in front of the senior leadership a number of times. So in general, my first uh, few meetings on this topic were just, I mean, awful in front of the GM, in front of the leadership team, you know, getting, I mean, to be honest, just questioned. I think at some point I probably said, wow, this guy, you know, he's too young. He's over in over his head. Um, but they stuck it out. Cause I think there was no other option. And that was again, part of the, part of the strategy is that there's no really other option. Nobody wanted that job. So, but I think within a year, I think if any of you've, um, for those of you who've ever worked in China or, or been a part of those organizations, people in China, you know, um, are incredibly intelligent. They, they also are very career ambitious. So you can find a, a good leadership team in China. You just need to like, um, you know, just figure out what you, what kind of leaders you want in China, what experience you want, and then you can assemble a team pretty quickly. Uh, people move roles in China at a, at a higher rate than we do in the U.S. even, right? So I think we were able to, to level the, the ship in China quickly. So those really tough meetings that I was probably having in the fall, turns out by the following summer, you know, we're making major strides. Sales are slowly coming back in China. And generally speaking, the, the region is going pretty well. And so... I'd say there's two things here is that if you're looking, if you really, you know, want to get in a faster track, two things, you got to pick a project that is visibility and one you believe you can be successful. That's number one. Number two is you have to pick one that you could probably do in a short period of time and turn it around in a short period of time. Um, the, the next job I took out of Asia Pacific, it, it, I didn't plan on leaving Asia. I actually liked it. I love the people, the culture. I still, you know, honestly, best friends with a lot of folks who are now country managers and so on. In this, in this region, but the U.S. team at the time was going from like, you know, good, good growth. And they all of a sudden they had a really rough year. They were like 2% growth. Their market, their director of marketing got fired um, or just let go and, and just uh, they needed a rebuild. And so I actually, to your point, I'm, I am loyal to my leaders. And I think you always have to have an executive champion. So I was reporting up to that point through our CVP of Asia Pacific. So I actually had left the confines of, of what is critical care. There's a GM for critical care and there's a GM for Asia Pacific. So I had a different ELT member and I was actually reporting right to the executive leadership team. Um, I actually made a choice to leave the ex executive on the Asia Pacific side after about a year and a half. Yeah, and that was tough because, you know, no executive leader wants to see a, um, a director leave about a year and a half in. In my mind, I completed my mission. I um, the ship was righted. It was clear that the the you know the country and the region was going in the right direction. I was able to then rebuild the U.S. So mm -hmm. to your point, I don't think those those choices are tough. And certainly, to be honest, my relationship with a leader in Asia Pacific is probably still damaged this day because you know they remember these things in, in a company that Edwards is a is a career longevity kind of company, and and these people are here for thirty years. They'll remember if you left their organization, right? I think the bet was when my turnaround in Asia, I, I, could mod, I could replicate it in the U.S. 
And I knew the timetable would roughly be about, you know, year and a half, two years. And sure enough, we got the U.S. from 2% growth. I think we're uh, by the third year, second year, third year of my tenure on the U.S. side, I was, we were at, you know, 7 8% growth and, and really going up. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, it was a great turnaround story um, in the U.S. So if you have a double turnaround story, had one in China, one in the U.S., then you have a, you have a two for it, right? So you have two positive things, you know, behind your sales. And so that's when you think you, you can really get a stretch goal. So my, my goal, you know, of course, was to be a vice president, but I made a mistake. I'll tell you, the mistake I made was really not even adhering to my own advice. So it, uh, my executive sponsor at that point was my general manager of the business or the, the GM of critical care. I actually started to, you know, get ahead of my skis a little bit. I was actually talking to a different um, leader within Edwards about a, a vice president role. Um, my general manager of critical care found out. And to be honest, it's, it is a loyalty thing because if you're doing well within a business and you have that core expertise at that point, it was close to 10 plus years of core expertise in the business. They certainly don't want you to leave. And if you want to leave, have the conversation with them first. I think that's my key learning. And to be honest, I almost blew my, my opportunity, Dolly, my, Vice president of global marketing turned out he he switched to a different job. The role became open, but I had just you know um, damaged my loyalty component with my general manager because I was just probably a couple months ahead of of where I probably would have been, right? So that's always the the risk you take is like you really got to take your your loyalty quotient pretty seriously. And the key the, the key lesson for me is just who is your executive sponsor? Your executive sponsor at, at a junior level could be a director. At some point, you pick, a, you pick a vice president to attach your, your name to. And then at some point, you have to get the attention of the GM. And because eventually, when those VP roles open up at the high level, you have to have their buy-in. Because especially um, when you have less experience in your resume, which I do, th- that, vice, that general manager has to go in front of the CEO of Edwards and say, I believe in him, him or her. Here's why. Here's what they demonstrated. And they're willing to take a risk on you. I think, um, and, and without that sponsorship, you know, you, you never will get to that next level. So the question is, how do you get that sponsorship? You, you do get it through loyalty. You get it through loyalty and just showing a track record of success. Uh, just don't blow it. I felt like I almost blow it. So, I mean, I could be sitting here. You, we could have a very different conversation. I could be Tim Pats, the whatever, the director of blah, blah, blah. You know, so to be honest, it's a little bit, little bit of luck involved. Certainly, you, you need a vice president to vacate that job before it becomes open. And then certainly, you know, be culturally aware of, of you know, what to do and, and who not to um, have a conversation with. I mean, so all things you learn. And to be honest, I've scuffed my knees and elbows so much, you know, in this journey that um, I'm almost <laughs> embarrassed to talk about it. So I like that. There's also something else I wanted to touch on that you mentioned. And I think it's really important for especially young professionals. And I've heard a lot of people both that I've known in the company, outside of the company, um, talking about, you, you mentioned the visibility. And I think so often, if you aren't feeling appreciated in your job or someone's trying to go for a promotion or whatever it may be, or a raise, and I've seen their, their management giving them these visibility opportunities and people turning it away because they're saying, that's, manager level work that's senior level work and I'm only at this level I should get paid more to do that and I I think I do want to separate that from like knowing your worth and you know 
obviously if you're doing too much, you don't want to stress yourself out. But at the same time, I think having the looking at it as an opportunity and saying, Hey, I might not be at the position I want, but this is an opportunity for me to prove that I can do this level work. This is an opportunity for me to get in front of people that I wouldn't typically get at, at my level. And I was, I've been really surprised to hear people think about it very differently. So that's something that I do want to touch on that you touched on is visibility means so much. And, you know, it is good to make sure you're, you're at the title you want, you're at the income you want, but at the same time, realizing the benefit of that opportunity that people are giving you and not um, sometimes even letting your ego, I guess, get in the way of that. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the, here's the double, you know, like I said, visibility is a double edge all the, all the time. And then, um, so if you're, again, if you're a manager level or below, you're, you want visibility with a director, right? Cause that director mm-hmm. is the one who's going to go up and going to go ask for promotion for you is going to go push you to the next team and support you. Right. I think the, if you're getting to that senior manager level director, you, your visibility is going to be with your vice president. So you, I, I think you can take those roles and have visibility, and um, I'll explain that in a second. And then I think if you really want to go for the senior director jobs, the, the the vice president jobs, you really have to be in front of GM and do well in front of that uh, in front of that leader. And I think, to be honest, when I have my staff, I coach them on um, specifically. This is your moment, right? This is the moment you're going to have two or three meetings with this person. We're going to make sure these meetings are very clean. You don't hide bad data if there if there is there always is bad data. You you get out in front of it. You take your take your lumps, but then you always close strong, right? Because that's you want to leave a lasting impression with that with that individual. I think the other thing that people underestimate and it's it's the meeting I'm going to next. It's called talent development review. Every company on the planet has one. It's when HR and your vice presidents go through the entire organization and we go one by one and we say this person has these skills. Has should have this talent designation should get recommended for a promotion. Just be aware of when those dates are. Sit down with your with your leader before they present your slide about your career and make sure that that story that they tell is the strongest it can be. Because you may be in a project that may not have you know the certain visibility levels that you need. But to be honest, if you show well at a TDR meeting and that leader says this is the best person on my team. Here's what I want to do with their career. You all of a sudden have a room full of leaders that are going, wow, I did not know that about Dolly. You know, she is an amazing talent. We need to get her a different project. Maybe I should hire her onto my team. That's when the conversation about your career starts. So I think there's really two things is, is certainly know the visibility level you need to be at, right? And to your point, it's a balance. It's a balance between the, the, the career that you want and that, and that taking a role that actually is maybe lower, but actually gives you a a tighter interaction with that person. Second thing is never underestimate how important this review cycles are because that puts people's names in, on the map. And, and, and in front of a group of cross-functional leaders, especially if, if for those of you who want to make that transition from, from tech or engineering to marketing or, or different functions, it's a, it's a really critical piece because, you know, um, generally speaking, the leaders we talk about, they're never, we never pigeonhole them into one function. We always say like, let's give them a job in quality and operations, et cetera. So actually it's up to you to really think about what you want to do in your career and actually tell your boss and say, you know, they want to, I'm in engineering for the next you know, 12 months because I'm in this critical project, but then they're going to look for a job in 12 months in, in, in X, Y, or Z function. Right. 
What do you recommend for people who, when these conversations are so critical to their careers, that maybe don't have managers who are advocating for them? I think, you know, in Edwards or even in my chain, we're really lucky and I acknowledge that. Yeah. But I know there's a lot of people out there that that might not have that. Great question. So here's my advice and it's consistent. Know who's in the room. So if, if you don't have the manager who who's is always as supportive and maybe they say, oh, wow, they, they missed this and I'm going to, you know, uh, hold them accountable at, at this meeting. I think it's a question of who's in your TDR room. There's two levels of TDR. The first level is your functional level, which means that either your vice president or your director or, or whatever level, they actually meet uh, with HR and talk about that, that group. And generally speaking, if you can get, if you can get an advocate, um, in that same function. So, so if you're in operations deli and you can, you don't have the engineering leaders of manufacturing's, you know, blessing, but Hey, you know, the production guy really, um, really likes me, get the production person to stand up for you and ask them to advocate for you. And actually, to be honest, I'll, I'll tell you at my level, this happens more often than you think. So don't be, so figure out who's in the room. And if you need to do a, a, a project or an assignment for that person, just to get some extra, you know, kudos from that person do it you know ask them if they need help can i can i help you guys work on a project can I, or solve, try to solve that problem that you guys are trying to fix you know for the last six months do it because i think then you get an advocacy level that i think you know goes up higher and to be honest i i felt that same way i along my journey you know i i had a good relationship with my boss luckily a lot of times but i never felt like my boss alone was going to be the one person in that room rooting for me so i always took uh, mentors or help the people in that room that were outside of my boss. I think it's a great strategy. Awesome. Thanks for that. And then I'm going to try and squeeze out two more questions before you got to go. So what are your, I want to showcase that, you know, throughout the whole chain, I think people are still working towards career. I know you just recently did a move yourself. How do you, what are you doing, you know, as a VP to accomplish those career aspirations and still develop yourself and um, even managing that change between positions or people coming in and out. A little bit of a loaded question there. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, and you mentioned, I, I just, um, I was a vice president of global marketing for about three years and, um, and the, they were struggling in sales in the U S sales group. And I've, you know, if you look at my career, I've been a marketing head of, of U S uh, marketing I knew the organization, knew the, a lot of sales reps, had relationships with the customers. And so they said, Tim, you know, let's get a search assignment for you and go into sales. I think for me, Dolly, you know, I have a le legitimate resume that could at some point get a shot at a general management role. And so to me, you know, if you want to be a general manager, um, you have to look at the makeup of the, of the leaders um, in the company, right? So for us, we've got people who have regulatory experience. We've got engineers who are general managers. Um, our, our leader happens to have a, fi a finance back. So it's a mix. So there's no, there's no right or wrong um, function to be a part of to actually be a general manager. But I feel like having that one note resume where it's all marketing, I really needed to take a, take a leap outside of the function, right? So sales to me is an adjacent space. Um, you, you apply the same principles, you know the same customers. You, there's a lot you can still need to learn. I still need to learn about how to do compensation plans, how to really actually um, engage and inspire at a different level, probably for this group, because I think salespeople need different inspiration than marketing people. Um, but it's similar, you know. I think um, I think salespeople just need a lot more, a lot more love and a lot more empathy, a lot more just 
feedback because they're in a car by themselves most of the day alone <laughs> or marketing folks are in a room, you know, conference room a lot, a lot of times, you know, with teams. So just a different style. But I think to me, it's, it's critical to have multiple functions uh, on your resume if you ever want to become a general manager. And I think this is my, my leap. I'd always say, you know, get your, get your cross-functional experience done way before this, you know, because going from one vice president job to the other, it's, I think it's tough. You know, I think you could do it if you're a manufacturing leader, you could probably go into quality. Maybe if you're quality, go, you could potentially go to R&D. And so there is some, some changes you do see happening at, at the high level. But generally speaking, most of the moves happen at the director level or senior manager level. You can get cross-functional experience then with an expectation that, hey, maybe I'll get a shot at a GM role in the future. That's, that's kind of where I want to be at. Now, GM roles, I'll be honest, they're very tough to get. Um, you, you, you're, you know, there's only one role in the company for that organization usually. So it's, a, it's also a waiting game. So to be honest, so, so best thing I could do at this point in my career is just do really well at sales. Um, you know, take care of the patients we advocate for, make sure that the, the, the metrics that we do are high. So that's kind of my goal now. So I, I think for the next couple of years, I'll be the head of sales, um, you know, Dolly, and I'll take care of this organization and, and lead. And um, hopefully put up, do really well in this job and we'll see what's next. I mean, no, no expectations. Cause I think a, a lot of this above this job are, is luck, you know, is, is the yeah. timing going to be right for the next role? Is it going to be something, you know, I didn't even think of that comes up that they say, go do that job, Tim, you know, who knows? I think it's um, I think I've been fortunate. I'll just be honest. I've been blessed and fortunate. And a lot of it's, a lot of it has been people above me who just believed in me. Um, and like I said, they they become advocates for you. And that's just the, you know, if you take away any, any one thing is just, just find out who your advocate is, who are the people that believe in you. And then, and then you can actually think about, okay, you know, how fast can I go and, and how, how can I partner with this advocate that actually I give back to them as much as they're going to give back to me. Right. Yeah. That's a great perspective. And thanks for sharing that. I know. Yeah. Uh, you don't always get to hear what the people you look up to or actually doing but you know, everyone's still <laughs> trying to grow if you're yeah. working you're still you're hopefully still enjoying it <laughs> um and then just closing advice i could continue talking about this stuff forever but what's one thing maybe you haven't mentioned that you just want to leave people looking to develop themselves early professionals what's a piece of advice you want to leave the audience with yeah, my, my advice is, is simple. It's, it's just um, really, it just know, know yourself, right? Don't, don't feel like, you know, you look at other people's careers and even on this podcast and you say, well, why am I not at their level or, or at, um, at the title or salary or wherever they're at? Know yourself. What I mean by that is if you want to be a, um, a certain title or have a certain job within a certain period of time, then, then, then set that goal. Right. And map it out and just and take it seriously. And, and, like, and we and use the lessons of, you know, that I, I've talked about or other folks that on this podcast have talked about. You can really honestly in a company, you know, if you could um, become a cultural ambassador, if you treat people with respect, um, that alone gets you so far. Don't feel like you have to be the strongest technical expert in a key area. I think in general, if you can problem solve, get along with people and fit the culture of the company, I think that's 80% of success, right? So that's, that alone is, it will get you there. I think if you map out and set goals with your, with your advisors and your advocates, I think you can get to your goals. Now, um, you know, I think the other piece of it is don't put too much pressure on yourself. I think 
the one lesson I'd say, I just, I, I, between us, I used to have uh, gastroreflux issues. I used to have put a lot of stress on myself to get to a certain level. And I think it was, it stressed me out. And I think in my later years, you know, I've actually learned to calm down. Um, I've actually learned to take a breath, really just step back a little bit, learn to take better vacations. And when I take vacations, I'm actually on vacation. And so just know how much you want to push yourself. So just my final advice is know yourself. Don't push yourself to a place where you get sick. Like I actually did. I didn't really talk about that, but that's just a, a closing thought. Put your tears, put yourself to a place where you have a really healthy balance, you know, because to, to be honest, like we're only here on this planet for, you know, a short period of time. You know, you shouldn't feel like you have to aspire to get to these certain levels. I think if you have fun along the journey, set goals and have a plan, it actually will make yourself more peaceful because you know you're, you're, you're tr moving towards a plan that actually gets you balance in life and work. And that's my final thoughts is just, is just, you know, live life and don't live it with a lot of um, expectations, live it with like um, having some fun along the way and getting to your, to your goals. So Dolly, I appreciate you and thanks for having me on the show. Thank you. I love that closing thought. Nothing, no amount of success or whatever makes up for if you're not happy in your life. It, you know, it really just boils down to nothing if you can't enjoy it. So I think that's a great way to end it. Thanks for coming on. Um, I think this is perfect. I know I always say we're going to go short and we, I don't because there's such good advice going to people that I want to continue that. And I think you're able to give a lot of helpful and applicable advice to people for where they're at in their careers. So I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Dolly. Looking Thanks for having to releasing me. This one. Amazing applicable advice we were able to get from Tim Pats. It's not every day you get to hear career advice from a VP and get to apply that in your own life. So I hope everyone is able to gain a lot of understanding and this was a really helpful podcast for them. Please like, subscribe, follow us. You can set it so when a new episode comes out, you get a little notification. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram. We typically post there when a new episode comes out as well. Thanks for listening.